Hello, everyone. I'm Elena Armijo, and I'm the founder of the C-Suite Collective. This is a company I created for executive leadership coaching and wellness that supports C-Suite executives, entrepreneurs, and founders. We support modern companies committed to fostering diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, holistic organizational growth, and generational impact for years to come. Now, more than ever, businesses are running faster and with fewer resources. Burnout, overwhelm, disconnection, and disillusionment are the new norm for teams struggling with an old paradigm. At the C-Suite Collective, we believe deeply that providing massive support for your teams through executive coaching and holistic practices will create an inclusive culture, higher levels of performance, sustainable change, and the organizational impact you desire. You can find us at the c-suitecollective.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the C-Suite Collective Corner. I'm so excited for you all to be a part of this conversation today. Um, we have Melanie Paez and Liz Haber-Zambrano with us today, and these women are incredible. Melanie is a coach and the founder of Chief Executive Angel, which is an incredible company that focuses on clients reawakening their passions and bringing to life their career aspirations, relationships, self-discovery, leadership development, and all creative endeavors. She's been coaching for the last five years, and she is an angel on earth. When I first met Melanie, she came up to me in the middle of a training room and gave me the biggest hug I'd ever received, possibly in my life. It was like love was pouring through my soul. So I I love this woman dearly, and everything she offers to the world is magic and love. So I know you'll enjoy listening to her. And Liz, Liz is a new friend, but I love her equally. She is a sister and um, brilliance and passion and a visionary leader. And she's been a professional coach and in leadership development training for over 10 years. And she has created such a, a following in Florida of people that that really love working with her and love working with her because she is herself and she brings safe spaces for her clients to really dig deep into what they're working through. So I can't say enough about these ladies. They're such an incredible addition to the platform. So have a listen and remember that something powerful resides within you and we are here to support you in seeing it and creating it. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Liz and Mel, for being here today. I love these women so much. I was introduced to Liz by Mel and uh, we've never actually met. So <laughs> I'm very excited for y'all to hear hear more about that story. Yeah. I just love you so much. Thank you for being here. So welcome. Thank you. Honor to be here. Yeah. Mel, do you want to share a little bit about how you introduced us and what, what made you think of us meeting together? Sure. I think, you know, from the beginning of when the C-Suite Collective was an idea, uh, I like to say on a napkin, but I think it was just a conversation in a stairwell. I, I got a sense of the caliber of coaches that would be here, the people who would be representing the culture and the idea that, that you had to bring it in. And, 
even when it was just an idea, I always wanted to surround myself with people who had so much passion for serving people and just like this untamable excitement for, for what we do. And Liz and I met in such a different way than most of the other coaches on the platform. Most of the other ones I was trained with, including you, but with Liz, we met through uh, another training program, um, but really through a really great friend of ours. I'm going to shout her out. Her name's Esgi. And she was an instant sister. So when she told me I had to meet Liz because I have this great friend that reminds me so much of you and you're going to love her right away. I was like, of course I will. I'm ready. And we actually met out at dinner in South Florida and it was like our eyes locked in the magic of the world, you know, <laughs> came upon us. She just is one of those people when she walks in a room, you know exactly who she, are, who she is and what she stands for just by the way she holds herself. And um, it was an honor and like just so much fun to get to know each other over dinner. Like, what do you like to do? What do you like to do? How did you learn this? Who did you learn from? And our big friendship, love story, collaboration started from there. I don't even know when that was. was I that know. Like three years ago. I don't know. Maybe, no, maybe even four. Yeah. I just remember meeting you, Melanie, and being like, oh my God, like here's somebody I can nerd out with about <laughs> coaching and being and ontological and mastery. And it was just so um, fun. And we talked and talked and talked. And then our, the friend that introduced us both, she was just like, told you, <laughs> you know, told you. <laughs> and yeah. It was great. And I didn't put it together right away to introduce the two of you, but when I see you two on the screen right now, it's like, oh, of course, the three of us belong together. And it was just when you were talking about who do I need to have on this roster, who are the coaches in the world that, that need to be here, Liz was like, of course. And then, you know, being able to introduce you, even just virtually for now, as I'm like, oh, yeah, same with Esky. It's like, I told you. <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah. I mean, very much the way I felt, Mel, as I met this woman. And I remember having one conversation with you, Liz, and, and I called you and your energy was just so clean and clear. And you were, you had some great questions for me about like intention and the why of C-suite and, and why we wanted to launch right now and what the vision was. And, um, I don't know. I think it's this Latin connection that I that I want to talk more about today with you all. But there was something where I was just like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. She's great. Cool. And there was nothing. There was nothing else. It was just like, are you in? And she's like, yeah. And yeah. I'm like, great, you're in. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And yeah. um, it's been magical since all the contracts yeah. you've been on and um, just how you've shown up for the community and what you've given me personally has been really yeah. beautiful. Just a uh, a gateway into like what it looks over there to be fully empowered and have fun at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. And I, I mean, I feel the same way. And I just remember that first interview first, I missed the very first interview because I got time messed up and I, Oh, I forgot about that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Oh my God, I missed it completely. What? And you're like, no big deal. I'm like, okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Um, I was like, and, <laughs> and then just meeting your, just seeing your leadership, your, your why and your vision and the way that you wanted 
the entire thing to run with people having autonomy. You keep your own intellectual property. Like it was so clean and it was so clear that I just felt, oh, and I, I say this to you all the time. I love your leadership style. You have such a great, like I, I instantly was like, yes, I will follow this person, you know? And I'm, um, I'm really grateful. To, you're a visionary and you've brought so many incredible people together. And it, it was so simple. Like, yes, whatever she's doing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, thanks. I want, I want people to feel that way. And I want people to, you know, the reason it's so important, I think, to create that community is that uh, then, it's, then our clients get the benefit of that. With that clean energy and that um, connectedness and that sisterhood that I want to jump into. Um, so I think we all are from Latin culture in various ways. I want to hear about all the differences that we have between us and the similarities. <laughs> um, but yeah, tell me, Liz, tell us a little bit about your background and how you grew sure. up. Sure. I'm first generation Cuban-American on my father's side and technically second generation Cuban American on my mother's. And I say technically because my grandmother was eight months pregnant with my mom when she came to this country. So if she would have just waited one more month and I would have been first generation. <laughs> so very, very close there. Um, yeah. So grew, yeah. grew up, uh, born in New York, raised in South Florida and, that yeah, that's my that's my background. I also have Lebanese descent. Like my grandfather, even though he was born in Cuba, both of his parents were from Lebanon. So that that's always just like a, a nice little. I have a very close uh, connection to Middle Eastern culture as well. Yeah, mm. nice. Mel, what about you? Mm-hmm. I'm first generation Paraguayan American on my dad's side, and. Um, entirely Irish New York by way of New York on my mom's and I grew up mostly in my mom's home but my my stepmom and my stepsisters are all Paraguayan as well so um, I do everything I can to get close to that culture and been there a few times and definitely going back soon yeah that's that's where I came from how about you yeah, I am. So let's see, I'm second generation on my dad's side from uh, his family comes from Spain and Peru. So it's kind of split between those two areas. And uh, my mom is French, German and Irish. So biracial. And uh, we did one of these uh, 23 and Me's, I think, you know, for Christmas a couple of years ago, and then found out there was a whole bunch of other stuff in there now. So now I just kind of say I'm a, I'm a big mix <laughs> of a lot of different <laughs> places. It's hard to talk about all the percentages of each one. <laughs> um, but I identify mainly as Latin. I will say, you know, the way I grew up, uh, I grew up in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And I think it was probably, I think I was in fourth grade when I realized I wasn't Mexican. <laughs> you know, because you grow up in Las Cruces, New Mexico And I just, you know, we were part of the culture there. And I remember reading a history book and there was a blurb about the first governor of New Mexico who acts, who was named an Armijo. So had my last name and I was like, oh, is this like my family member? And uh, they came from Spain and of course stole all of the treasury Mm -hmm. in New Mexico and ran to Mexico with it. That's my, 
that's my family. <laughs> so that tells you some of the roots that happened there. But I mean, well, you know, geez, it was it was one of those moments where I went home and I was so confused. I was like, number one, are we related to this person? Number two, does that mean I'm not Mexican? And number three, are we crooks? <laughs> like what happened? What happened in our history? And um, that's when I first realized, oh, okay, there's a wider world out there. And because we, we hadn't even really talked about it in my family, you know, about uh, where we came from. And a lot of my first memories were of assimilation. Um, and my father had already been assimilated here, right? So he didn't speak Spanish that entire, I think one of his siblings out of five uh, speak speak Spanish. Yeah. So did you all have any similar, similar moments or memories? Yeah. Yes. Uh, my, well, my mom was pretty assimilated. She was born here and, but actually going back to what I was saying earlier, she lived with her grandparents and her parents. And then later like aunts and uncles, they all lived in one house together, um, trying to make it, you know, in this country. And it just made more sense to let's all do it together and pull our resources together than spread apart. And then my father, yeah, he came over here and his legal name was Jose Luis. He changed it. He was 14 when he came here, changed it to Joseph Lewis, told us to identify as white, didn't let us speak. Um, well, I wouldn't say he didn't let us speak Spanish. My first language was Spanish, um, but it, it got, we didn't really speak Spanish in the house. My first language was Spanish because my great grandmother basically uh, was my, she stayed with me while both my parents worked and she only spoke Spanish. So I, but we spoke English in our house, my parents. So my vocabulary uh, of a Spanish speaking person goes up to about like five. I have the vocabulary of a five-year-old in Spanish. And then my sister cannot really speak Spanish at all. And she really really wishes that she could like she practices and studies really hard to try to to try to learn the language and I'd say she has some resentment that we that she didn't learn it and that we didn't speak it with her and she wishes that she she would so as far as hard as my father assimilated my sister is like going the opposite way like wait let's bring it back let's bring back our roots let's bring back our culture and I appreciate I appreciate that too yeah she keeps wow, I think we found our similarities. <laughs> I know the similarities, yeah. right, Val? <laughs> I, uh, my dad moved to New York City in his 20s, and that was just a like height of racism in New York, and assimilation happened pretty fast for him. It was like, I need to be an American person. Um, so not a lot of speaking Spanish, not a lot of identifying with Paraguayan culture, and by the time I came, uh, came around, <clears throat> there was no Spanish being spoken in my home. My mom is an English speaker only, so they spoke English with each other. And my dad didn't speak Spanish to the babies. So I didn't know it until I went to, you know, Spanish one in middle school or whatever, just like any other American kid. And... Um, I, I didn't get too much about Paraguayan culture either, and I didn't really understand what it was to be from another place. Um, growing up in South Carolina, everybody was 
uh, an American white kid for the most part, in, especially in my elementary school. It was similar to your sister in the sense that I, I grew up later on kind of resenting that I didn't speak Spanish and realized that it closed a lot of doors and everything. But then even later in my life, I realized that it was a point of survival for my dad, survival and thriving to assimilate and to become an American and to mute and quiet down his roots. And when I was in that height of like resentment for not learning it, he was in the height of like realizing that he wished that he had. Um, And so it was like bringing us to Paraguay, trying to teach us Spanish when we were actually at the age where we wanted to just go climb a tree and... I have as much, I, I'm about a five-year-old in Spanish as well. Um, and I, I'm trying to get more of it and, and learn more about my culture and the language because I, I want to bring it back just to my soul. It feels like very much a part of me, even though it wasn't taught to me in the way that it would have been if I grew up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Really Such similar that. stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what do you relate to? I love it. Uh well, you know, something I was just thinking as well, one of the reasons I think the Cuban culture that we had stayed so alive was because my grandparents on my father's side never really learned English. Like they moved straight to Miami where you can never have to speak English and live a very good life. Um And that kept it alive in a lot of ways. Like if I didn't have that, I probably would have been even way less removed, similar to what you're saying, Mel, um, than I would have been if it wasn't for for them. And the Miami, South Florida region, where it is very much more accepted to be uh, Hispanic or speak the Latin or have Latin, speak Spanish, excuse me. And then, but I get it about, like, for my father, it was the same way. It was survival. Like, this is how I need to survive and get ahead, especially in corporate America at the time. Um, And the type, he worked for a very conservative company. It did not work to speak Spanish or not assimilate to white culture. Yeah. Man, thanks, ladies, for sharing these stories because... um there's so much connection and dots. Like my, so my version of this, my grandmother, when she came over, same thing. We must assimilate as quickly as possible. We will not speak Spanish in our house. I will not teach my children this. And even her husband, when she met him, while they shared the culture, they worked very hard to keep that even out of their relationship, which I think was um, a big part of their demise in the future when they got divorced because they had worked so hard to let go of who they were, for who they should be. And that cost them a lot in the long run. And I remember being a little girl, my my grandmother came, she was a concert pianist. That's why she came to the States. And I remember hearing her sing these beautiful Spanish songs, art songs on the piano and, and playing them. And I fell in love with music that way. She was really the one to introduce me to it at a very young age. And I, I remember just longing to know what they were about. And she would she would never go there. It was always like a no, even when I would beg her to teach me in the moment. It was like, nope, you just need to speak English and you'll be fine. So I guess that's that's a good question is what does it cost you all? Um, I'm hearing a little bit of like our shame and and sort of how we what were we want to be with with Spanish alone as a language, but also 
What else does it cost you? Tears in my eyes right now. When you said they let go of who they were for who they should be, I'm like, oh man, that's maybe why I'm a coach. Like having that so infused in me that um, like the, the impact of, of being raised by someone who was who he should be instead of who he was. Uh, and, and then learning, I mean, I think we all learn it, whether we're of Latin roots or not, or even first generation anything or not, we kind of learn in at least American culture, be who you should be, not who you are. And this is just our particular flavor of it. And the, the feeling of like my spirit being like, no, be who you are, is what had me go on a different path from a lot of people that I know as an entrepreneur and as a coach. And then when I think about the like fiery passion that has me never stop, no matter how difficult it gets as a, a business owner or being on my own, is because I'm out here like looking at people who are who they should be and not who they are and like peeling that away with them in partnership. And it's so important to me to to be that. And I think I think I just found like that's my ultimate why. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as we're having this conversation, I see why the work that we're doing with the C suite collective is so important. And because like my like I just shared, my father had even the more of the pressure to let go of his roots so that he could assimilate in a corporate culture where my grandparents and my uncle that had more working manual labor jobs, they didn't have to do that. Like it was accepted there. Um, now, if we can do the work that we're doing and bring it in into corporate America where people don't have to make these choices anymore. Like I have to, people don't have to say, let me let go of who I, who I am or where I came from or the roots, the spice that I have so that I can mm -hmm. fit in and <laughs> succeed here, right? We don't have to make the choice between. We can be all of it and have it and have it. And I think of my husband, he had a very similar experience too, also came over here when he was 14. And they automatically put him in remedial classes, even though he was very, very smart, but they just made this assumption, you know, Esau remedial. And, and, um, he had to prove like, look, I speak English. I speak, I speak white in many ways, like, because he went to an American school in Ecuador. Um, and that got him into better, better classes or honors classes, or he even ended up skipping a grade, but he had to prove it. And he says that to this day, I have to, people see my skin and they make an assumption about me. And then I open my mouth and they see, they say, they hear that I don't speak with an accent or something like that. And then they'll take me seriously. And, and it, similar to what Mel, you were saying, and this whole vision that we have with the C-suite, it's like, we're working for a world that that doesn't have to happen anymore. It doesn't have to. Yeah. So beautiful. And how are you ladies finding that with current clients or even like real time examples where you're, you're working with that concept with people right now? Like, what are you seeing in the world? Well, there was the one client I spoke about in the beginning where she is the American culture of being an individual versus, you know, the, the Latin culture of where she comes from of 
family collective, like let's do it together. And she's coming back to, I don't have to be so fiercely independent to the point that I don't ask for help. Like I can do this with my family together or my close friends or my close, just close other, other people, like let's walk together instead of alone. And then I also have a client, corporate America project manager, he's Indian and he is learning right now to use his voice a same similarly assimilated very hard into the american culture and realizing he's also assimilating into the craziness of the american culture and mm-hmm. forgetting the <laughs> eastern roots the mindfulness the 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 softer more where let's say consumerism isn't necessarily all that there is. Like he came from a culture where he had very little and was very happy and, and trying to marry and go back to that space while still earning and creating and doing what he wants, but not losing the, the Eastern um, philosophies that he grew up with that helped him stay so mindful and grounded and happy when he was there. So we're, we're doing that right now, working on that together. I'm working with an entrepreneur who is mixed and a lot of the um, creating her own, uh, her own idea of what her identity is and allowing herself to have all of it as like who she is rather than like I can be half of this and half of that because that's what the like blood is. It's, there's just such a beautiful thing when there's room to allow all of who you are and there's not like you don't break it down by percentages of like what the DNA says. It's like who, how, what does your soul say? How do you feel? And and incorporating that into her business has been so amazing. The, the leverage of just being more aligned with what's in your heart rather than um, what's practical, what's on paper, what other people say you can be, can be just like such a such a powerful move. An example of it, it could just be you know. She was doing a lot of copy that was like written copy for uh, marketing before. And then when she started getting on video and, and like showing who she is, there was so much more of an influx of people coming in because they could see her. But nobody was, she wasn't ready to be seen until she could see herself. So I think a lot of our conversation today, that's how I've been using it in coaching with her. Um, and I've got another client who is a white American woman, and she is actually working a lot in just overseeing a lot of diversity conversations in her company and how she can use her white American voice to support people who are who she may never fully understand. But the opening her heart and her eyes to to being an open space for other people's identities and being humble enough to say, like, I don't have that identity, I won't ever fully understand, but I will use what I have to fight for you. That has been groundbreaking, and it's going to be really, really big as it moves forward. Beautiful examples. I, oh, they, well, first of all, I'm excited that you all are doing this work in the world. It just lights me up to hear how people are being served. And I think my recent example, uh, she's a new client. We've only had two sessions and she's uh, uh, a Latina who is a senior vice president in a company that has a massive team that she leads. 
And um, her value system doesn't actually align with the company that she's working for. And she's really starting to see how it's not a great fit for her um, from who she wants to be in the world and her, her purpose here in the world. All the work we're doing is getting getting to the heart of, you know, this, this, I must take everybody with me and I can't leave anybody behind. And at the expense of me, like, like she's actually stayed and suffered through this position for a really long time to, to save like her team underneath her. And we've, we've recently started to get into conversations about like, Hey, how does that show up culturally for you? And what does that mean from where you came from? And, and the deepest expression of, um, that pain and that suffering that's being played out everywhere. It's a really interesting conversation and she's doing some great work around releasing attachment and, you know, saving others before herself. (laughs) Yeah. Which we were talking about that before we started uh, the podcast a little bit is how we as community, I'd love to get back into that conversation you brought Liz before we were recording about um, the strength of our community. Cause we often talk a lot about, you know, I know my father wanted me to live in a compound next to him my whole life, no matter what. And no matter what I did, if everybody could just stay right in New Mexico and he could like see us all and we were all safe, it was like his dream. So his heart was broken when I moved away from New Mexico. And that was like 25 years ago and have, you know, not moved back since. <laughs> so I know we talk a lot about those stories, but um, do you have anything to share in terms of some of the the gifts of the way we were raised? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they were all like, we um, have no gifts. <laughs> we still want a compound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm thinking I have, <laughs> I have access to, to, it's a, like two cultures that I can, I can play with or play in. I have access to it. So in that way I am broadened in, in some ways. And I, I do love that. I, I do have that American individualistic, you, you can do it in me, which is necessary sometimes, right? It is necessary. But also married with, okay, and I have a team. I have a, I have a, I have a team around me of that I am absolutely willing to use. I get the village mentality because of my Latin experiences. It takes a village. I was raised in a village. I have a village today, and I am, um, I'm raising my daughter in a village. You know, and I, I appreciate, and that village is like a. My mom and her husband are close. My grandmother is close. Her gram- She has three sets of grandparents and two aunts, all within like a 20-mile radius of her. And I, um, I'm so grateful for that. And sometimes when my husband's like, let's move to Colorado, and as much as I would like to move to Colorado, I'm like, are you kidding me? We, we have, like, free child care all around us. Like, we're not going anywhere, um, at least not for 10 years. Like, this is it. So exactly. hunker down. <laughs> yeah. 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 I appreciate that. <laughs> Mel, anything for you? Any gifts? Yeah, I I mean, it was really eye-opening to... I understood my dad on another level when I went to Paraguay. My brother and I went when, I 
think I was 17 for the first time. And they had a barbecue to meet us. And that's what my dad called it. Like, there's going to be a barbecue and you're going to meet some family. I think there were a hundred people there. (laughs) And I didn't know, I didn't know that we had that big of a family. I don't even know if we actually do have that big of a family or they just call like friends, family and like, but I met aunts and cousins and great aunts and little kids and, and they were all so, so excited to meet me. And I think in American culture, when you walk into a barbecue full of people you don't know, those are called strangers. But when you walk into Paraguay and meet a hundred people that you don't know, that's called family. And that changed me. And even even though these were actually my blood family, what I've experienced in meeting Paraguayans some, anywhere is that as soon as they find out that I have a Paraguayan blood, they're like, you're my family. I've been, I, I met a man once in South Florida and he saw my t-shirt and he had a, a drink that they drink there. And we, you know, exchanged a little bit of conversation and all of a sudden I'm at a Paraguayan food barbecue in Tampa with him. And it's, it's just so beautiful that, that uh, cultural closeness and that instant love that's available in Latin culture. And, and even though, you know, when you say Latin culture, you mean way, like so many things even across our, our cultures that, that we represent, there, there's so many differences. But there is this sense of, like, I was raised in a village and I will raise my family in a village. And I, I've always had that, like, desire to be close with people um, in ways that I, I don't see so much in American culture. And it's one thing I really, really value about the C-Suite Collective, that even in these conversations, I'm just realizing that that's how it is. And maybe it's uh, something that we don't even notice or maybe you did do it intentionally but there's a a a village kind of feeling of like we are here with the same heart and and the c-suite collective's particular heart is you know to to bring people back to themselves and create success there especially for people who were told that they had to separate from themselves in order to be as successful as they are and all of us have that like we're ready to walk in and remind you of who you are and not have you sacrifice anything you you have achieved in in that separation and for us to have that and and like walk together even when we're on other sides of the country i feel like we're linking arms and and walking into it together and maybe that is born from our latin roots yeah i gotta think it's have have some influence i mean i wish i could say i was as intentional to say like that's the thing we're gonna create but i know that my value system, which is similar to your lady's value system, is a it was always you know family first. That was that was something that we were taught um, growing up, and I still I still hold very different. Like dropping anything and everything to be there for the people you love, and I do think that uh, with the people that we've brought on and we've intentionally curated our culture so far, it's from that that space, right? Like nothing comes before relationship here. Um, and everything can be worked out, which I think is is what we're trying to model for the corporate world as well, right? That what if what if money and contracts and um, programs, like Liz mentioned earlier, like IP, what if all of that was put aside for relationship? And then what can you create from there? Which I think we're seeing is really, uh, really magical. I mean, it's certainly much more robust than I thought it would be. 
<laughs> yeah. It feels a lot And better. I notice that it's something that people are, yeah, yeah, people are craving it. When we go into have conversations with companies, all I hear is like, I just like, it's not about the hours. It's not about the money. It's not about what we're even doing. It's like, I want to know that I matter to these people. It, like that I'm working with. I, that's, that's something that I've noticed across the board in so many different industries with so many different people, different age range, different salaries. They're just like, I want to be in a place where I matter to them and they matter to me. Well, you ladies are angels among angels and I am forever honored and grateful that I get to work with you. I'd love to end with just what, what I ask every guest on the podcast, no matter who or where they come from is if you had a megaphone to say something to the world for the next year or the future, what would you say? Any difference you're trying to make outwardly will start with loving inwardly. I love it. And like the tiniest voice, but the megaphone would make it so loud. Oh, was it? <laughs> so good, Mel. Did I say it? No. Tiny. <laughs> no, I love it. Liz, what about you? Um, especially now where I'm seeing fear about food shortages and, and fuel shortages and a lot of scarcity, I would remind us there, there is enough. There is enough here. And if we can put relationship, like we were just saying right here, relationship and care above, let's say, what's profitable in this exact moment, we would have enough to feed everyone and make sure that everyone is taken care of. And let's take, let's take stock to put relationship first put humans first right now and, and the rest will work itself out there is enough mm. oh my gosh it's so beautiful ladies you really are angels um and we're gonna put in the show notes for everybody listening where you can find these two and all the magical things that they're up to in the world and they're creating so thank you very much for being here i love you both so much love you thank you i love you honor it's my honor <laughs> Bye.